my legs going, and now sit down. (laughs) I'm sitting down. You crazy? And they said, oh, I forget his name. Oh, Jim Bob down there is holding the rope. Look at him. He's fine. He's going to make sure you don't die. He's going to lower you down. When you go repelling, I learned something. It takes one guy to come down the rope and another guy to anchor it. Which one of these two guys would you identify with the most this morning in the kingdom? Are you the one anchoring the rope for someone else? Are you the one coming down? I mean, this guy's having all the fun. This guy's doing all the work. Right? Basically, he said, now there's a trust relationship here too. That's a whole other sermon. We'll do that a couple months, come back. Y'all be ready to come out of the ceiling again? Good. But what will happen is, if you don't anchor and stabilize, that guy's going to fall. But somebody has to hold the rope so that somebody else can come down it. Thank you, guys. Give those guys a hand. It's just like church in the kingdom. We have people serving and people receiving. People holding the rope and people coming down the rope. Today I want to talk to you about finding God in the low places. We've talked about finding God in the quiet place and the close place. Today I want to share with you finding God in the low places. What's the low place? The low place is the serving place. It's the least place. It's the place where we enter in in order to minister to someone else. The low place says, no, no, this is not for me. I don't get anything out of holding the rope. This isn't for me. I don't get a kick out of this. This is about you. It's about providing an experience for you. My fulfillment is knowing that you're being ministered to. There are only two places in the entire Bible where the Scripture specifically says that Jesus is our example. You're not going to like either one of them. I don't. The first one is in 1 Peter 2.9 where the Bible says that Jesus is our example in suffering. Everybody sign up. Jesus is our example in suffering. The other one is in John 13 and I want you to turn to John 13 this morning. And it says that Jesus is our example in serving. Suffering and serving are the only two places that the Bible says Jesus is our example. That He says, I will show you what to do and how to do it. Suffer like me and serve like me. Now, you know by now probably John 13, or at least as you're turning there, you realize that this is the whole scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, I think that that whole scene is hard for us to get into because we don't really have uh, a modern-day equivalent. It's foreign to our culture. Uh, The reason that washing feet was a big deal then and the reason that Jesus did it 
was because they walked everywhere they went. We drive everywhere we go. I don't know what our equivalent would be, changing tires. Let's have a tire changing service. Drive your car on in here and I'm going to serve you. Changing flats, rotating your tires. We don't really have a modern day equivalent to it. Maybe the closest example we have in the modern day is changing diapers in the nursery. I'd say that's pretty close. I, I guess we could wash feet and change tires and diapers and still miss the point though. Maybe it wasn't Jesus' action so much that was the example, but His attitude. John chapter 13, look there with me at verse 1. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 8. Let's just take the story in. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter who said to Him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now let me just point out two or three things from this scene. And, and let's, try to, let's try to look through the cultural difference of foot, foot washing. And let's try to look in, into this scene, into what was going on. Let me give you three things that I saw. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. <laughs> Serving. This is really complicated. It's going to be very hard to write down. Serving was a big deal to Jesus. Is that tough? Serving, S-E-R. Serving was a big deal to Jesus. How do you know that? When did this event happen? Verse 1 tells us. It was just before the Passover feast. What does that matter? Twelve hours before Jesus would begin to be tortured and just days before He would die a violent death, He performed this act. If you knew that you'd be separated from those you loved and begin to be tortured in twelve hours, what would you do? Now think about it. Jesus knew his time was short, so what did he do? He took off his cloak, he put a towel around his waist, and he washed the dirty feet of the disciples. Who would waste time on something like that? Most of us wouldn't. But Jesus would. Why? He wanted, the Bible says, to show His disciples how important it was to serve each other. Why did He humble Himself? According to verse 1, to show the full extent of His love. Where's the full extent of love found? In serving. The full extent of love is...
is found in the low place. When someone assumes the low place for you, when someone assumes the low place for me, the full extent of love, the Bible says, is found in the low place. If it was important to Jesus, shouldn't it be important to us? Mother Teresa visited Phoenix in 1989. She visited there to open a home for the poor. During that visit, she was interviewed by KTAR Radio, the largest station in the city of Phoenix. In a private moment, the announcer asked Mother Teresa if there's anything he could do for her. He was expecting, you know, a request for a contribution or media attention or something to help raise money for the new home that was going to be in Phoenix. Her answer caught him off guard. She said, yes, there is something you can do for me. Find someone that no one else loves and love them. Find someone else that no one else loves and love them. Serving other people was huge to Jesus. So huge in fact, it was one of the last things that he did. It was one of the last acts that he in, intentionally, before his circumstances changed, and he had to submit to the soldiers and those who had charge over him, when he was in his last free moments, it's one of the last things he did. Now here's the other thing I saw in this story. In here, not only do we see that serving was a big deal to Jesus, we see that we see our need, now listen to this, this is probably going to, catch you unexpected. We see our need to be served. You and I have a deep need to be served. In verse 6 through 8, in the exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Doesn't that, doesn't that, doesn't that exchange sort of seem out of place? It seems strange to have right there. When I first read it, it wasn't obvious to me what it meant. Just by a casual reading of that, you, you don't immediately understand it. My first impression was, I just wish someone would look to the Apostle Peter and say, Why don't you just hush and cooperate? Why is it always you? Cut the ear off, jump out of the boat, yeah, 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 I never knew the guy, watch my feet, don't do it like that. Did you ever just want to read scripture and look at him and just say, shut up! And just do the thing. And one time he says, I say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, but you're not watching me right. You say, come on, man. Get with it. When you look deeper in the story, though, you see the Apostle Peter's false humility. You'll never wash my feet, but it's the washing of feet that Jesus does. It's not the washing of feet, it's the washing that Jesus does that empowers us with the ability to serve other people. Then Jesus says, then you don't have a part with me. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part with me. Now Peter says, well then wash my whole body. In the end, I don't think the Apostle Peter is all that far off from where we live. Jesus is telling Peter, 
tomorrow in the morning my blood will start to pour out for you. And if you don't receive the washing of it I have no part with you. And you have no part with me. If you don't accept it we're not together. thought somebody else was coming from the ceiling. Just like Simon Peter, it's oftentimes pride that keeps us from allowing Jesus to clean us. You and I, I think the person here is calling the one over here. If I'm getting this right. Is that right? Okay. Everybody pull your phone out. Let's get it over with. Put it on silent. Are you all together now? And don't call each other. You know where they are. Are you busy? Yes, I'm looking at you. Where was I? Just like the Apostle Peter, we, we want to be self-sufficient. Now, now listen to me for a minute. To most of us, if not all of us, if we're really honest, it embarrasses us that Jesus had to die for us. Now just soak that in for a minute. It embarrasses us that Jesus had to die for us because we want to be good people in our own right, by our own effort. But the Bible is clear. Every one of us is hopelessly dirty and corrupt and we will remain that way unless we allow Jesus to serve us and wash us with His own feet. And the little... The little pre-picture, that the little foreshadow that he gave the disciples was, is he washed their feet the night before he washed their soul. But that serving extends, now listen to this, not just to our Christian birth, but to our Christian life. Even beyond forgiveness. Not that we have to be born again over and over and over, but that we are reliant not only on Jesus, but we are reliant on the broader body of Christ for nourishment. You and I all need those moments where somebody holds the rope for us and says, Now you go down. I hold it, now you go down. You're not, I'm not, none of us are strong enough, spiritual enough, wise enough, smart enough, anything enough that you and I don't need those moments where somebody in the body of Jesus serves us, nourishes our soul, ministers to us. When I was sitting in, Dece- in December, I was sitting in a, a classroom in Springfield with some fellow pastors and, and a, 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 another pastor was there for a week just ministering to us and pouring into us. And I've, I've had that arrangement before a couple of years ago I went through, but it never dawned on me, I don't know why, the way it did this past December. I came home and just reflected on that for about a week. And I went, you know what I think it is? I know Jesus is like, duh. I think, you know what I think it is? I actually 
need someone in the body of Jesus to serve me sometimes. I, I need to be in an environment where I'm not in charge, where I'm not the leader, where I'm not making sure everything's okay, where I'm not the one giving out, where I'm not the one... Every now and then I need somebody to hold the rope for me and say, hey man, it's your turn. You come down. I'll hold for you. I came back from that so... No, I mean, I got something there. As I, I said it to a friend on the phone this week. I got something there I don't get from my devotions. I don't get from the worship services we're together. I don't get in my own reading from reading other people. It's something else. And I'm just saying to you in this story, the Apostle Peter found something from Jesus. He found it the hard way, probably like I did. But he found it. He needed to be served. And you need to be served. And I need to be served. That's why in two weeks as we move to two services, one of the big deals that we're trying to make happen is everybody have a worship service. Everybody come in. Everybody make it a deal that each person... We have people in our kids' ministry that serve all Sunday mornings. Now in two services you say, you can serve in one service and be served in the other one. You can be... I'm excited about that. You go and be served now because there's going to come a spiritual nourishment. There's going to come a spiritual food. There's going to come a spiritual strength that you don't get any other way. But it comes as somebody holds the rope for you. Now here's the last thing. Look at verse 14 and 15. I want, you, I want us to look at this together. We also see in this story, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. We also see in this story our need to serve. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. See that word? Only two places in Scripture that you're going to find that it specifically says that Jesus is our example. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus says, If I, your Lord, found it necessary to serve, then you should too. In fact... Serve is what it actually means to lead. When you start to hold the rope for someone else, you have entered into the low place. And do you know what you'll find in the low place? God. You'll find God in ways while you're serving that you'll never find Him in any other environment. Now you can't just serve. You have to be served. We've gone through all that. But you'll find Him in ways that you've never found Him before. Because there's probably no moment in life that you're more like God than you are when you're serving. Do you know why God perfectly rules everywhere? Because God perfectly serves everywhere. Who has less of a need to serve anybody than God? But who serves everybody more than God? 
Serving is strength, it's not weakness. It's coming from a position of authority in Christ. I, I, I have, um, maybe you've heard about the 80-20 rule. The Lord really began to speak to me after, after we went through Hurricane Katrina. We're trying to figure out how to, everything was on the table. How do we do church now? And we were looking into the scripture and we were reading and talking. And the Lord really pressed something into me um, that's contrary to most of what I've heard in contemporary American church leadership training. You may have heard of the 80-20 rule. I've gone to leadership conferences, I've listened to tapes, I've read books, and I've seen this principle uniformly. 20% of the people, you are just 80-20, 20% of the people are going to do the ministry and 80% are not, or, or 20% are going to do most of the ministry, 80% are not. Okay, I understand that life circumstance and all this means that some people are going to do more ministry than those. I understand that. But that's not really the conclusion that, that the church has taken from that. The conclusion that the church has taken from that is, give up on it. We live in a consumeristic society, and 20% of people in the church are, are going to serve, and 80% basically are not. Now, I have come to the conclusion in my own life that it's a sellout to accept it. Why shouldn't we accept that? I'll give you one really great reason, and there probably never needs to be another, because it's not Christian. It may be contemporary. It may be modern. It may be active in most churches. That has nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> it, it may have nothing to do with what Jesus said. Can you imagine the Apostle Peter standing over the church at Jerusalem and saying, I know 80% of you are not going to serve. So I'll go home and we'll hold the 20% over for lunch and we'll talk about what we're going to do. The fact that that has become not only acceptable, but expected tells you we have created a brand of Christianity in America that is foreign to the New Testament. So this morning, I just want to come to you and say this. I want to apologize to you on behalf of any pastor anywhere, on behalf of any Sunday school teacher you've ever heard, on behalf of any denomination that you've ever been a part of. On behalf of any church culture that ever had an influence on your life. If anyone in the church world anywhere has ever led you to believe that that's acceptable to New Testament Christianity, I apologize to you. It's not. It's not acceptable. It's not Christian. It's not New Testament. It's not acceptable to New Testament faith to be a believer and not hold the rope. What was Jesus doing when he was washing their feet? It's not acceptable to only come down the rope. It's not part of Christianity. It's an arrangement that we've made. We've built churches to attract attenders. Jesus built a movement to develop disciples. That's a whole other thing. Now, there are three places. The phones aren't going off now, are they? <laughs> there are three places that every Christian, uh, I'm talking about public context, that every Christian should serve. 
to touch your local community. Outside the church, outside the Christian circle, inside the secular, lost, separated from God world. Every Christian should find a place of service. What did Jesus say? I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. How did he do it? He served. The implication is, if he hadn't served, they would have never known the full extent of his love. So the fact that we welcome people who don't have a relationship with God here is not to show them the full extent of Christ's love. The only way that you can show an... um, A non-Christian, an unbeliever, the full extent of Christ's love is go where they are and serve them there. Isn't that how you read the Scripture? That's it. Now we'll talk about that next week. Here's the other two. Every Christian should find a low place of serving to help fulfill the vision of their local church. That's a no-brainer. Here's the other one. And this is where your greatest fruitfulness in life will ever come from. Every Christian should find a low place of servanthood in the place that God has gifted you the most. Let me tell you where dynamic, lifelong impact comes from. When you take the giftings and the abilities that are inside a person and you strain them through the attitude of Christ in serving, you have created now an unbelievable dynamic for impact. When I realize that all I have is not mine and it's God-given and it will be taken from me another day and God will ask me what I did with it. And I, and I lay it all down for Him. And I serve Him in every way I can. I serve His people in every way I can. I serve the lost because He's there with them every way I can. When that giftedness gets strained through serving, there comes an incredible punch. Now this year, as is part of our Explore vision, we're going to, to do several things that I just want to explain to you now. One of the things we want to do this year is start three new ministries in the community. In the, the low place. We want to try to find three needs, spots, opportunities, whatever. And we want to go in the nature of Christ... We want to meet God in a low place somewhere in the community and have a ministry that touches not the people that attend here already, the people who don't attend anywhere, the people who don't know that God cares, the people that haven't encountered Him yet. Here's the other thing. The statistics tell us, you know, 20% of people um, serve. There's another statistic you've probably never heard. 40% more would really like to, but don't know how. So what we want to do this year is create a ministry pathway so that when a person first encounters Kingwood Ministry, that they will begin to be introduced to a developmental pathway where they can take one step at a time toward finding that place that God has called them to make primary kingdom impact. 
so that we'll have an intentional, strategic path. So there'll be a, a process that they can walk along. And also a leadership development process where we're developing and leading and training and serving those who are doing the most serving already. So you have new, new people who aren't serving being developed a step at a time to serve. And you have the people who are already serving being served themselves in a greater way. The other thing we want to take on this year, because serving is not just... When you t- think about the, the issue of serving in the church wide, so many times we lock a person into a low place and leave them there. Well, can I say it out loud? Just by guilt. But we don't offer them anything. You have no training. You have no help. You have no... You're not growing in your own faith, but you're doing a good work for the Lord. And Jesus is coming, so don't let out now. Well, Jesus has been coming my whole life, and I'm still here. Do you understand? So what we want to do is at the same time create a discipleship pathway, an intentional discipleship pathway for children, teenagers, and adults, where people can see, okay, the next step I need to take to grow in my my relationship with God, my faith with God is right here. Okay, then this is what I need. Okay, all right, I can keep moving. Uh, I, I, in my own Christian development, I've spent, you know, all my born-again life in the church. And there's those moments where you just seem to get stuck. You know what I'm saying? Where, where you're faithful, you're doing all that you know how to do, you're, you're doing everything you're asked, but it just seems like in your growth, you, you, you've, you're stuck. You've hit a wall. That's because there may not be... Uh, a clear pathway of discipleship so you know what to do next. And, and so that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to take those two things on. Now, those two things won't happen just because I said to you they'd happen. You, you know that? Somebody actually has to make them work. Let me tell you what we're going to do. And, and I want you to, if you will, I don't want to embarrass you, but I, I want our staff, that I, when I call you to come here, Pastor Clark, would you just come here for a second? Pastor Clark is going to champion... Uh, and next month we're going to have a, just right here, we're going to have a, a meeting of all the ministries in the church. Everybody's in the ministry. Pastor Clark is going to champion this ministry function in our church. Create the pathway and help people find their place in it. Pastor Mark, would you come? Pastor Mark has been a discipler of Master's Commission for 17 years, but if you knew him before that, he was a, he he did youth pastoring as a discipler. That's how he did it. Pastor Mark is an incredible discipler. So what we're, what we've asked him to do is, Pastor Mark, can you take all that you know, transfer it then on to our church, and create a pathway for kids, youth, and adults? Pastor Mark's going to do that. Now, uh, Pastor Larry, would you come? Pastor Jeremy, would you come? I want to show you how this is going to work. So Pastor Larry, you heard last week's going to do care. Do y'all like each other? You can... Okay. You can come on. I didn't know. Alright. Now watch this. Jeremy's going to do relational connections. Larry's going to do care. Uh, Clark's going to do ministry. Mark's going to do discipleship. 
These guys are working together on a pathway that will take a person who is a baby in Jesus or just new to Kingwood and make sure that they have care, that they have connection, that they, they're being served and nourished, and they're being discipled in their faith. This team can do it. Do you believe that? Would you give them a hand? Thank you, guys. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus walked the earth and he walked all those miles with those disciples, let me ask you a question. Was he discipling those guys when he walked? Oh, no, no, wait a minute. Or was he training them for ministry? Maybe he wasn't doing that. Did he actually care about them? Or or was he developing a, a personal relationship with them? Well, the answer is yes. He was doing all that. And for us to minister with the power and the, and the body of Christ, we have to do those things. To extend the ministry of Jesus, we have to do what He did. And that's what we're looking at. Our 2010 vision is a, lot, a whole a lot of other pieces that I can't share with you this morning. But the 2010 vision, as we've shared with you, has to be funded to work. Next week, I'm going to ask you to make a financial commitment to fund so many of these things that we've been talking about. Next week we'll give you a a better picture of the whole piece and we'll talk about finding God in the unexpected places.